This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible, let's turn to Romans chapter 1 is where we're at this morning. I'm going to start in verse number 1, we're going to read through verse number 8. Verse number 8 is really where we're going to spend the bulk of our time uh, here this morning. Romans chapter 1, verse number 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Among whom ye are called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I had the opportunity for 10 years to serve on staff at a, a church in Southern California, Lancaster Baptist Church in Lancaster, California. And I served as the IT director there. My background at the time was in IT and uh, served in six years in the Navy in, in IT uh, and then uh, got out of the Navy, did that for a little while, then went to a church and served on staff as their IT director. And most of you know in a, in a service type of, of role like that, when you're uh, having to go in and fix things and things like that, a lot of times the, the rules don't necessarily apply to you. Like there's a sign that says keep out, but you've got work to do behind that, that door. You can just walk through the door and, and do what you need to do. Or, or if they say like, oh, we don't want anybody to come into the meeting, but the PowerPoint breaks and you got to go in, even though they said nobody can come in. And so I would make a joke amongst my family like, hey, the rules don't necessarily apply to your dad because he's special, right? And it was kind of this, this funny thing. And the, we ever, ever see a sign that says, uh, don't enter. I would say, oh, I can go there, but nobody else can because I'm special. And it kind of became a joke around our family. And, but the problem is, is that uh, if you know your kids, your kids sometimes take your jokes a little bit too far. And so uh, one Wednesday night, uh, one of the uh, ushers who was actually the, one of the head deacons of uh, the church came up to me after the service and said, Hey, I want to let you know your son Thatcher was out here uh, wrestling and roughhousing with some kids before the service started, and I told him to knock it off. Hey, sorry about that, but taking, thanks for taking care of it for me. Well, that's not really the problem. He said, the problem is, is when I told him he needed to knock it off, he stood up and he says, do you know who my dad is? <laughs> no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. And I said, I don't care who your dad is. You need to knock it off. And I, he was like, and I think he was taken aback by that. I said, thanks, we'll have a talk when we get home. And so got at home and said, Thatch, that's a joke, son. You don't get to tell people, like, do you know who my dad is? Because I'm nobody. He was like, well, I didn't know that. I thought, so, like, I could say that. No, it doesn't work that way. And so <laughs> he thought his dad was famous, but his dad wasn't really famous. I've never ascribed or desired to be famous at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, I like to be inconspicuous. Uh, I don't want people to recognize me when I'm out in public and things like that just because I'm an introvert. I'm awkward. Um, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday of last week, uh, I had gotten roped into uh, going up Cocoa Head with uh, Pastor Chris Chadwick, Pastor Trey, uh, and Pastor Bernie Lund from San Diego. 
And so uh, they said, hey, we're going to go up uh, Cocoa Head. Fine, I've done it seven, eight times before. Not a big deal. Uh, the day before, I had a really terrible leg workout. My legs were just jelly that day. And so I'm going up, and my legs are hurting. Uh, man, my, I have no power. My hamstrings are going to push off. And it's all, I'm pushing off from my calves. And after about 100 sets, my calves feel like they're going to explode. And I was just having a terrible day. And this was supposed to be this fun camaraderie, like, guy thing. And they, like, all ran off and left me. Isn't that terrible? Like, what happened to, like, no man left behind? I totally got left behind. Uh, and so I'm, I'm frustrated because everybody else is, is ahead of me. I think they finished in, like, 19 minutes. I finished in, like, 36 minutes. It was terrible. And so halfway up, I'm just mad. I'm, I'm not mad at them. I'm mad at myself because it's like, you're pathetic. You're disgusting. You're awful. And I'm, I'm kicking rocks as I'm going up, and I have a terrible attitude. And my wife says that I have an angry resting face. But... But the face I had on that day wasn't an angry resting face. It was just a flat-out angry face, right? And so if you can imagine someone with an angry resting face actually getting angry, it's, it's kind of twice as bad. And so I'm mad. I'm, pro- I'm almost three-quarters of the way up, and, and I'm just so frustrated with myself. And no lie, I'm kicking rocks, and I'm murmuring every step that I go. And I walk past some people, and I, I, I say, hey, and, and murmur something as they give you words of encouragement as you're going up and stuff like that. I'm just like, yeah, whatever, like that. And I get like four steps past this group, and I hear, Pastor King, is that you? And I thought to myself, just keep walking. But here's the problem. I couldn't walk fast enough to get away. And so I turn around, and I go, hey, have we met? And it's some girl, probably 19, 20 years old that I've never met before. And she said, no, we never met, but I go to so-and-so church, and I remember you preached at West Coast Baptist College this past February. I remember you preaching there. I recognized the beard. I thought I should have shaved today. Um, <laughs> and I go, oh, that's so nice. And she was like, you look like you're struggling. I go, nope, I'm doing great, but thanks for checking. <laughs> Turn around keep on walking. Like, I, I don't want to be recognized. I have no desire to be famous. Paul, when he talks about the church at Rome, he talks about a church that had a worldwide famous faith. But it's interesting to note that the church at Rome wasn't famous, their faith was. They weren't famous for who their pastor was, for the money that they had, for the the building that they met in. They were famous because of their faith. Again, it says your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And as I've read through this passage, and I've read through it at this point literally hundreds of times, uh, I've been planning to preach from this passage for the last two years. I've, I've loved the book of Romans for probably the last 10 years. I've read this, this the passage literally hundreds of times. But as I've read through it for the last couple of years, I thought to myself, I want Hui Kala to be a world-famous faith family. I want like wherever we go throughout the world to be able to see the impact that our church is having. That's a pretty tall order. But again, that's what happened to the church of Rome here. We don't know who started the church at Rome. There's no uh, indication in Scripture anywhere who the, 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 the beginners, the church planters, if you will, of the church at Rome was. We don't really know who that was because here's the fact. It didn't matter. It wasn't about the, the people. We don't know who pastored the church. It's interesting as Paul writes his letter to them, he writes to the saints at Rome. Other passages, he writes to the elders and the deacons who are at the church or the leaders that are at the church or people that he knows. Sometimes he'll call out by name. Uh, Even towards the end, hey, be sure to greet these people from us and tell them hello. He, He doesn't have anybody there that he really calls out. So we don't even really know the names of any members of the church at Rome. We don't know who their pastor was. 
We don't really know where they met. Isn't it interesting in a city like Rome where even today there's so much history there and the Colosseums and things along those lines that we don't even really have like a place where we say, hey, this is where the church at Rome met. Because at the end of the day, it wasn't anything really to be remembered. But what's the one thing that was heard throughout the entire world? Was it how much money they had, how many people they had? It was their faith. And I thought to myself, our church... I don't want our church to be known for me. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I'm not trying to create a platform for myself. I don't want our church to be known for our online presence. While in the day and age that we live in today, if you want to be known, you have to put something out on social media where people can find you. I'm not against that. But I don't want to be a church known for our digital platform. Like, oh, your website's so slick, your social media's so great, your app is so helpful, so useful. I don't want to be known for an online platform or an online reach. I don't want our church to be known for the church that's over by Alamoana. I don't want our church to be known for the church that has those stickers that people put on their water bottles in their car. I want our church to be known for our faith. And not just in our city, like worldwide. And you say, that's a pretty tall order. I agree. I think it's a pretty tall order for the church at Rome. But here's the fact. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6. It's in your notes if you've got your notes handy. If not, crack your Bible, look at Hebrews eleven six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There's only one way in the world to please God, and that is faith. I'll go one step further and say this. If you are not living by faith, your life does not please God. That's what the Bible says. And again, today, you're going to hear some truths that are hard because I love you and I care about you. As a pastor of this church, I want to help you to grow, to stretch your faith. And there's going to be some pointed things that are said today that might be hard to hear, but they're said 100% out of love and a desire to be the type of church that Jesus is proud of. You can't begin to have the type of faith that God expects you to have if you, first of all, don't have saving faith. You and I were born into this world sinners at at odds with God, the enemies of God. Because you and I have sinned against God, get this. If you get nothing else out of today, hear this. You and I have broken God's law again and again and again. We deserve to die, and when we die, we will go to hell. That's what we deserve. If I die and I try to go to heaven and talk to God about how good I am or the good things I've done, the only thing he has is a rap sheet 10 million miles long of all the wrong that I've done and the good that I've done doesn't make up for that. And so I deserve to pay for my sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. I deserve to go to hell when I die because of sin and you do too. And the only way to not endure God's punishment in hell is that you have to pay for your sin or someone else does. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says that God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So here's what happened. I've sinned, you've sinned, we both deserve to die and go to hell. God sent his son Jesus to die in our place. I'm not good enough to go to heaven. Someone had to come that was good enough that had never sinned that could pay my sin debt and his name was Jesus. Jesus came, died on the cross to pay for my sin, to pay for yours, so that we could be forgiven. 
And you have to. The only thing that you have to do is you have to believe that with every fiber of your being and receive it. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe he is the only way to heaven. And I am asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins. And if you would do that, the Bible says you can be born again or saved. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse number 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That Jesus died for your sins. All you have to do is believe and receive. Simple as that. That's the beginning of your faith journey. If you've never done that, if you've never had a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, let today be that day. Because otherwise, you're walking, you're walking dead man. You're a walking dead woman. You've got a life sentence on your head, a death sentence on your head. That the moment that you die, you're going to be under God's punishment. I don't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. So today you have the opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and begin your faith journey. But for those of us that have been saved or born again, I was born again when I was a nine-year-old boy in Kentucky. I haven't been perfect since then. I haven't been perfect since nine o'clock last night. But look, I'm forgiven now. It's not a matter of living a perfect life. It's a matter of living a forgiven life. And so if you've never done that, start there. But for those of us that have been saved and born again, don't think to yourself, the day that I prayed that prayer, I think I'm good until Jesus comes. No, no, no. We're just beginning our faith journey now. Now we have to live by faith every single day. Now we have to grow in our faith and stretch our faith. That's sometimes uncomfortable. And we're going to talk about some things today about being a people of faith that's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but I'm going to ask you to just settle in and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I think about the church at Rome, what they didn't do is they didn't make excuses. They lived in the capital city of the Roman Empire. And if you want to talk about a place that was difficult to be a Christian, Rome would have been it. We talk about present-day America is a difficult place to be a Christian. There's some times where it can be a little bit uh, of a rub for sure. But let's not say that we're persecuted. Nobody here has ever been imprisoned for, for their faith. Nobody in here has ever been put to death because of their faith. But the church at Rome, they lived in a real threat of that taking place in their lives. We would see later in, in Roman history how Christians would be hated even more in the city of Rome, how they would be crucified themselves, how they would uh, be put on uh, uh, crucifixes and lit as light at night, lit on fire. For what? For being a Christian. And so you got people who would make excuses. These people didn't make excuses. I think for us in our city of Honolulu, we could make excuses. We could say, it's a little bit harder here than it would be, say, uh, for example, somewhere in the South. I remember uh, we were, I, I served on staff at a church in California and had gone to a conference in uh, North Carolina. In the uh, middle of summer, it was as humid and hot as you could possibly imagine. And we get there, and, and again, I've been working in Southern California. I've been t talking to people. You talk to people about the gospel, and you say, hey, you know, like Adam and Eve, they're like, who's that? And you're like, well, okay, let's rewind a little bit, you know? You talk to people about, hey, if you die today, are you sure you're going to heaven? They say, hey, how can you be sure? And you say, well, let's talk about the Bible. And they say, I've never read the Bible. Hey, well, you know John 3.16? I've never heard John 3.16 before. And so that was where we're at in Southern California. We'll see a lot of that here in, in Honolulu as well. And I remember sitting at a Waffle House, God bless America, uh, in, in North Carolina. And our waitress, when she brought the bill, I said, hey, I just want to give you this on the back of some verses, how you can know for sure when you die, you're on your way to heaven. She's like, oh, I've been born again since I was a 12-year-old girl. What? I'm like, 
did somebody just say born again in the middle of the Waffle House? Like, I've never had that happen to me in my life. Okay, man, next day, Cracker Barrel. I mean, we're hitting all the good places in the South, right? <laughs> Go to give our, our waiter an uh, invitation to church. Hey, on the backs is some information. We call that the gospel. Oh, yeah, I've received the gospel. I, I, was, I was saved as a, as a kid at church camp. Wow. I struggled that entire week to find somebody who didn't go to church, who hadn't been saved, or didn't at least know something about the Bible. Struggled. If you haven't noticed, that's not our city. I don't know if you've noticed, but there's more Buddhist temples here than there is in any other city in the United States. I don't know if you noticed here, but, you know, big signs that say things like, God bless America, aren't necessarily around town. We live in a, a society today where people are very antagonistic towards the gospel. A little bit hard here, right? People live in big buildings with, with security, and so it's hard to get to know your neighbor and get to know people and things like that. Okay, I'll give you every single one of those. But let's not make excuses. It was hard in Rome, too. I think every, every city in America has its challenges, for sure, but the church at Rome, they weren't willing to make excuses. Uh, they, they trusted God. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 16, verse number 19. Again, Romans chapter 1-8, he says that your faith is heard throughout the world. Romans 16, 19, he says this, for your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I'm glad, therefore, on your behalf. Hey, everybody knows that you just did what you were supposed to do. You've obeyed. And look, not every single person in this room is going to go on to do great things for Christ with their lives, but every single one of us can be obedient. Well, I can't. It's really hard. I'm sure it is. I'm really tired on Sunday mornings. <laughs> I'm tired on Sunday mornings, guaranteed. Well, it's, it, it's hard to do this. It's hard to do that. I'm certain it is. But if we're going to live by faith, we've got to push past the things that are uncomfortable, and we've got to push past things like excuses. And we've just got to embrace our, here's the word, faith. And that's what the church at Rome did. They didn't make excuses. As they think through our church family and the history of people in our church who have lived by faith and just trusted God through things. And last Sunday night was such a huge uh, moment for our church family to be able to ordain. Pastor Trey is a pastor here at Huicala. Phenomenal time. If you missed it, you missed out on one of the best things that's ever taken place in the history of our church. It was such a special night. And I, I remember just being overwhelmed with emotion, and I asked Larry Gregory to come up and pray. And I began to talk, and as I'm talking, I began to get like a lump in my throat, and I began to get like my eyes started to sweat a little bit. Uh, I began to like stammer over my words, and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this is not good. Like I'm not a crier, and I almost lost it. Because as I'm thinking to myself of everything we experienced that night, being able to ordain Trey Williams as a pastor, took place because of people like Larry and Buffy Gregory. There wouldn't be a Pastor Trey ordination if there wasn't a Larry and Buffy Gregory. They came here when there was nobody here in this church. They came when not because they liked the children's ministry here, because there was no children's ministry here. They didn't come because they had heard the pastor preach before, because they never heard me preach before. They didn't come because the church had a lot of things to offer them because the church had zero to offer. But they came and they lived by faith. And that story can be told time and time and time again of people who decided to retire from the military and stay here because they believed in what God was doing here at this church. Of people who left Hawaii and came back because they believed in what God was doing at the church. That's faith. That's people who say, hey, I could do something else, but I choose to live by faith. 
remember with Larry when he was retiring from the Army, 27 years Army infantry retiring. And he said, I sat down with him, and he's like, you know, if we go to here, we can buy a house with this much land. If we go here, we can buy a house with this much land. If we go here, this state doesn't require any uh, tax on my retirement. If we go here, and I asked him, I said, Larry, is it really all about the money? And he stopped for just a second. He goes, Pastor, that's a really dumb way to look at it, isn't it? I said, I think so. I can I ask what's best for, for you and for your family and what's best for the kingdom? He goes, okay. What does that mean, okay? Okay, we'll stay. I'm not trying to talk you into anything, man. He's like, no. He said, he said I, I don't want to live for money. He goes, there's something bigger than that, isn't there? Absolutely. And God's blessed their family time and time again. We have one of the best children's ministry in the world because of that family. But look, Hui Kala is what it is today because people throughout the years have been willing to step out and say, this doesn't make sense, but I trust God. I believe God. And they didn't make excuses for it. You see, the church at Rome was a church that poured their lives into others. One of the things I love about Hui Kala is it's an easy church family to break into. And I would encourage you, if you're here at Hui Kala for the first time here today, welcome to our family. Thanks for being here. You're automatically part of our family just by being here once. I hope you continue to come back because we want to get to know you better and we want to serve Jesus together with you. I think the church at Rome was that type of church because if you take a look at uh, verse number 11, what Paul says uh, in Romans uh, 1 here, he says, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift so that in you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. He says, hey, I, I'm, I'm coming because I want to be a blessing to you, but I also could use some encouragement myself. And so Paul's saying, hey, I want to come to the church at Rome because I know you're the type of church that pours into people. Look, they loved and they encouraged people. That's why Paul wanted to be there. And if we will be a church of faith, a church that people can speak of throughout the entire world, we need to be a church that loves and encourages people. It doesn't matter if people are here for less than 24 hours or people are here for the next two decades. We can love and encourage people. That's free. It doesn't cost you anything. That's the heart of Christ. I have a, this is going to sound really foolish to, to people, and you might even laugh at me. That's fine. One of my, I have this written down in, in like my lifelong goals. One of my lifelong goals for myself, and I've shared this like maybe twice in my entire life, just being super transparent. One of my life goals for myself is that when I die, people can say, I don't know what Jesus was like, but I imagine he was a lot like Anthony. That's a goal for me, that people would see Jesus so much in me that they can imagine how Christ might be. Now, have I got a long way to go? I got 10 million miles to go to get there, but that's what I'm working towards. I want to love people. I want to encourage people. I want people to feel like they matter. I want people to know that Jesus loves them, and I do too, just by existing. And the church of Rome was that type of church. Paul says to them in Romans chapter 15, verse number 24, when I take my journey to Spain, I'll come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey and be brought on the way thither would buy you if first I'd be somewhat filled with your company. Hey, I'm really looking forward that when I'm coming around your way, I'm gonna stop and see you because I want to be encouraged by you. I want us to be a church that can encourage people. I wanna be our church that's, that's full of hospitality, I want to be our, our church to be a church where people say, hey, I might not have agreed with what they believe, but I felt loved. And hey, look, in the Aloha state with the Aloha spirit, if anybody should feel loved and cared for, it should be amongst God's people. 
This is the place. And again, you might say, well, that's not really my personality. I get it. I'm with you. I'm an introvert by nature. It's awkward for me. But did you know this? I asked God to stretch my faith. I asked God to give me a love for people, and he did. And guess what? I'm a better person because God allowed me the capacity to love other people that I didn't have before. And you say, well, I don't really want to do that. That's what I'm talking about. I'm asking you to live by faith. This church was also a disciple-making church. They were teaching other people how to be committed followers of Christ. No church could have stood in the city of Rome if they weren't constantly making disciples and telling people, hey, this is going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. Hey, I'm going to walk with you through this. You're not alone. I'm with you. And one of the things that I think that has made Huikala the church that it is today and the church that it needs to be for this city is the fact that we may always prioritize discipleship. Discipleship is not filling out blanks in a book for 14 weeks. It's learning what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ and actually doing it and passing it on to somebody else. We've got to keep that as our core of everything that we do. It's the mission of the church to go, win, baptize, teach, and to make disciples. This was that type of church. If you look at a map of the United States and really a map of the world even at this point, you'll be able to point to places on a map where people that have been trained and discipled in their faith have been sent to across the world from who we call a Baptist church. When we send people out from here, and I don't say we lose families anymore because we don't lose anybody, we send them out on purpose. When people leave our church and go to other places throughout the world, we're sending them on to take what they've learned here and plant it somewhere else to continue to grow in their faith and pass it on to somebody else. We have a great sending capacity. And I'm just going to prepare us as a church right now. Next year, next summer time frame, will probably be a mass exodus in, in, at Huicala just because we have a lot of military families that are going to be PCSing next, next summer. But guess what? Is that going to change anything we do? Not even a little bit. The church of Jesus Christ is not built on the strength or the weakness of certain people. It's built upon the strength of Jesus Christ. It's his church, not mine, not yours. It's his church, and he will build his church is what he said. We trust him completely. But we have to be a disciple-making church. Hey, if we know that we're going to be losing 100 people next year, should we begin training 100 new Christians to take their spots? Absolutely. But we're going to be doing that until the day that Jesus comes. Training disciples, training committed followers of Jesus Christ. Now, the other thing we see about the church at Rome is they were all collectively fully engaged. You know, it's interesting as you read the Bible, there's no such thing as an inactive church member in the Bible. You'll never find anybody who is just a pew sitter in the Bible. They just don't exist. They were always connected to the body. You take a look, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul talks about the, the body of Christ is like a, a literal body. You have an eye and you have a foot and you have a hand and you have an ear. and Every one of them has their job that they're supposed to do. And if one person doesn't do their job, then the whole body suffers, the Bible says. And so you see the church at Rome, they were fully engaged. That's why when Paul says in verse number 8 here, he says, I thank my God for all of you because your faith collectively, every single one of you, your faith together as the family of God is spoken of throughout the entire world. That means that we had a church that was fully engaged. 
Paul didn't say, oh, I've heard of the faith of your pastor. He's a really great guy. I heard you have some really good spiritual leadership in the church there. Uh, Their faith is talked about. Yeah, I heard you got that one guy. He's a really, really good preacher, and they talk about him all the time. No, no, no. He says, I've heard about your church's faith collectively through the whole world. That means that there wasn't any one particular person in the body that was more important than the other, which is what Paul would tell us anyways in 1 Corinthians 12. Everybody was fully engaged. Everybody was pulling their weight. Everybody was doing their thing. And so we see that everybody in the body was doing their part. If you and I will be a part of a church that has a worldwide famous faith, we've all got to do our part. And you might say, I'm not really sure what my part is. Great, let me help you. I want to help you find your part. Now again, all of our part is to glorify God. All of our part is to be faithful to the church. All of our part is to to faithfully give. All of our part is to faithfully witness and share our faith. All of our part is to, to be engaged and pray for one another and bear one another's burdens. That's just automatic in the Bible. But specifically, what's your part? I don't know. I want to help you find it though, but know this, you have a part And I'm going to go so far as to say this, and this is where things are going to get a little bit maybe uncomfortable for some of you. You have a part to do, and when you don't do your part, everybody else suffers. You say, well, that's really mean. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. If one part of the the body is sick, then everybody else is sick with it. That's why the Bible says if one rejoices, we all rejoice with it. If one weeps, we all weep with it because we're all in this together. And so if there's unconfessed sin in your life, please know this, you're only hurting your church family by covering it up. And he who covers his sin will not prosper, guaranteed. It's a Bible principle there. So if there's sin in your life, you say, well, this isn't really a big deal. It's a big deal because it affects me, it affects you, it affects the people that you're sitting around this morning. And I had a guy one time say, well, I don't really want to confess my sin, so I'll just go to a different church. You're a roving cancer everywhere you go with your sin. Wherever you go with unconfessed, unrepentant sin in your life, you infect the people around you. Just stop being a cancer and repent of your sin. It's really easy. And so some of us might need to repent of sin. And I'm going to help you one step further. Stop calling it bad habits. Stop calling it, one of my biggest pet peeves is is preachers who say things like, oh, your shortcomings and failures. Let's call it what it is. It's sin. That makes it a little bit harder because here's the thing. Jesus didn't die for shortcomings and bad habits. Jesus Christ died for sin. And the Bible doesn't really have a lot of uh, prescriptions, if you will, for bad habits, but the gospel is the answer for sin. And so let's just call it what the Bible calls it. It's sin. And when you and I make excuses for sin, we're only fooling ourselves. God is not mocked. Whatsoever men soweth, that shall he also reap. If there's sin in your life, fix it. Well, I don't want anybody to know. Be sure your sin will find you out. It's only a matter of time before your sin gets exposed. So fix it. Some of you need to be more faithful and do your part when it comes to church attendance. Church has become an optional thing for you if you feel like it or if you have time or if there's nothing else going on. Some of you need to buckle down and say, hey, when the church doors are open, we'll be there. Some of you need to commit to maybe Sunday night faithful attendance. The more you're in church, I guarantee you'll grow. 
Some of you need to be part of a small group on Wednesday night. The more that you're in community with other Christians, it'll give you the opportunity to grow and be transparent and get to know other Christians and learn more about the Bible and grow in your faith. Some of you need to be faithful in your tithes and your offerings. I don't say that because the church needs your money. Frankly, we don't. This is not a capital campaign where I'm trying to raise money for stuff. I'm trying to guilt people, trip people into giving. But if you're robbing from God, you will not prosper, guaranteed. I'm asking you to give because it honors the Lord. I'm asking you to give because you'll be blessed. I'm not trying to raise money. If I was, I'd have a lot better scheme going on. But if you're not tithing, you haven't even begun to see God's blessings upon your life yet. Some of you need to be faithful in your Christian witness. You've never shared your faith before. Somebody came to you and said, hey, how do I get to heaven? You wouldn't even know what to say. You need to grow in that area. You need to be fully committed. We need to have a room full of 250 people that know how to find Jesus and can point other people in that direction. Hey, here's Bobby. Bobby doesn't know for sure if he died today, he's going to heaven. Could you take him and tell him how he can know for sure from the Bible he can be saved? Every single person in this room should be able to say, absolutely, come with me, Bobby. But if you can't, I want to help you grow. You say, I don't know if I can do that. That's where the faith comes in. So you need to be faithful in your small group attendance. Again, sporadic attendance. That's never going to do anything for anybody. You've got to commit to it. Some of you need to leave the world behind and fully engage with Jesus Christ. Because one foot in the world and one foot in the church house is only going to leave you very disappointed and mostly confused. I'm going to do things for the world Monday through Saturday, and then I'm going to try to live for Jesus on Sunday. It does not work. I guarantee you, I've tried it, and it's miserable. Because here's the thing. You can't sin enough to fully squeeze out all the fun out of it because you got the Holy Spirit inside of you who's telling you this is bad. You can't fully come to church and worship with the people of God and hear preaching and be encouraged by it because you know there's this lingering sin in your life that just makes you feel rotten. So Jesus says, you're either for me or you're against me. Pick a side. And I encourage us as a people of faith, I want you to be fully engaged, locked and loaded. Every single person in this room, myself included, can grow in our faith in some way. I want to encourage you to do that. Now again, small one step at a time. Angela and I, 22 years ago now, prayed a prayer as simple as this. God, whatever you tell us to do, we will do it. Amen. I'm telling you this, that prayer rocked my world. Changed my life. No lie. You're sitting here today because I prayed that prayer 22 years ago. Because at some point, God says, I need you to sell everything that you have and move to the middle of the ocean and plant a church in a city that does not want you there. And we said, okay, done. But it didn't start there. It started with, hey, if the church doors are open, our family's going to be there unless somebody's dead or dying or in the hospital. Done. That's where it started. And there was a progressive obedience. And so I just want to encourage you. Be obedient. Some of you need to join our church. Church membership gives you the opportunity to serve to a greater degree. It holds you to a higher level of accountability. and gives you the opportunity to serve in ministry. And by now having two hours that we're having children's ministry, we have need for more children's ministry workers. But we don't just take volunteers, we take committed followers of Jesus Christ. Because we don't have daycare over there for kids. We're instructing them and discipling them and trying to turn out committed followers of Jesus. 
We don't need somebody to just watch kids and keep them alive. We can hire somebody to do that. So some of you need to say, hey, what's my role here in the church? How do I take a step up? How do I get in? Man, I want to help you get in. And sometimes people say things like, well, it looks like everything in the church is already covered. They don't need me. Please, we got 10 million things. We haven't even started yet. But we need all hands on deck. And I'm just going to say this moving forward. Our church cannot be the church that Jesus wants us to be with a bunch of half-hearted, half-committed Christians. We just can't. And so I'm asking you today, check your heart. Am I fully engaged? Am I fully committed? The church at Rome, they fought to reach a city. They made a massive impact in a city where people said it couldn't be done. It wasn't easy. They had to fight for it for sure. You and I have been called to reach a city. Our family came back here in 2013 for the purpose of reaching this city with the gospel. I've asked God to allow me to spend the rest of my life reaching Honolulu with the gospel. And you say, well, that's great, Pastor. It's good for you. <laughs> Get this. If you're a Christian and you live here in Honolulu, God has called you to reach the city of Honolulu while you live here. I don't care if you're here for two weeks or two years or 20 years. While you're here, God's put you here to be a missionary to share the gospel with the people around you to help reach this city with the gospel. And let me just tell you this, we're way behind, way behind. I mean, here's the, the fact. Since we came back to Honolulu in July 2013, we already had pre-printed invitations to our church with addresses on them and things like that that we were passing out. And so immediately from July 2013, so nine years now, we've been going into our city Try to knock on doors, catch people in their front yard while they're watering their lawn, talk about Jesus, invite people to church, standing out on the corner, passing out invites, holding up signs, doing anything we can to get people to come to church for nine years. There are times we go to Manoa and we hand out invitations around the, the mosque that's in Manoa. If you've never been over there, let me just tell you, it's a scary, and I don't say that to be racist or anything like that, I'm telling you, you feel the presence of oppression there. There's a mosque in Manoa. And we go all the way around the mosque, passing out gospel tracts and invitations to church. We go up, man, Prospect Street up here. Me and Tim Warner went time, one time at Easter, dude, like this, like straight up. I mean, like, you think you've been like the Stairmaster? You haven't seen nothing. You need to walk like Prospect Street. I mean, just the streets through there. We've, we've walked through Kalihi. We've walked, walked through Diamond Head area. We've got Montserrat and all those houses that are through there. Every time, without fail, if it's a Saturday, we'll see Jehovah's Witnesses out there with their briefcase. Now, for those of you who don't know Jehovah's Witnesses, first of all, they're a cult. They're not Christians. Uh, they deny that Jesus Christ is God. That's a blanket, automatic, not a Christian. But for them, they actually earn their way to heaven by putting in hours every week, putting out literature. And so for them, it's a matter of punching a clock. The more hours they get, the better. And so the longer that they stay out there, the better. So as they walk from house to house, they've got their briefcase, but they're like walking like this. They're like looking at their watch, walking a little bit slower because they're not, like, man, when I'm out, like, I'm getting with it. I got work to do. We got to get tell people about Jesus. I don't get as many as I can. For them, they're just punching a clock. But here's the thing. In all of our time in nine years, they're the only ones that I've ever actually seen out sharing anything with anybody. Are there other Christian churches in our city? For sure. I've never met another Christian on the sidewalk sharing their faith with anybody in nine years. 
Now, does that mean that they're not out there? No, it just doesn't. It just means I haven't seen them. See Jehovah's Witnesses every weekend. So, here's the fact. If God wants to reach the city of Honolulu, and I believe that he does, we're the people to do it. To be a little bit clear, it's 100% on us. I don't know that I can count on anybody else that's out there trying, beating their brains in to get the gospel to our city. I don't know of it. If there is, I'd love to high five them on the way on a Saturday as we're passing on invites. I haven't seen it yet. But assuming that there's not, it's 100% on us. So what do we do with that? It's, it's, it's heavy, folks. Here's the latest census data that I could gather as far as religious affiliations in our city. 66% of Honolulu residents have no religious affiliation whatsoever. Two-thirds. No religion, not connected, not religious in any way. 19% identify as Catholic. 5% identify as Mormon. 3% identify as Buddhist. And again, highest per capita Buddhist uh, in the United States, in our city. So, by self-identification, 93% of the people in our city, that amounts to 372,000 people, 400,000 people in our city limits. 93% of the people in our city identify as non-Christian. 372,000. That means if you see 10 people tomorrow, nine of them are self-professing non-Christians. If you have 10 houses on your street, nine of them are filled with professing non-Christians. If you have an apartment building, there's 10 units on your floor. Nine of those people don't know Jesus. And so the idea that you and I have to go to some jungle in Africa to find people that haven't heard about Jesus just isn't true. You just got to walk down the street, walk down your hall, walk out your front door. And again, for me, this is so alarming because 50 feet across the street from our church is probably 2,000 people that live over there. And if these statistics bear out, do you know how many of those people don't know Jesus and are headed for hell? That scares me and a no lie keeps me up sometimes at night. If these statistics are accurate, and and again, assuming the remaining 7% of people who self-identified are legitimate born-again Christians, that means in the entire city of Honolulu, we have 28,000 Christians? Now, I'm talking about city limits, and so we're talking basically like Kalihi down to like Hawaii Kai. Or probably Kahala. I think city limits stop at like Kahala there. But I mean, still no, 400,000? We got 27,000 Christians? I mean, again, I grew up in, in Kentucky, and you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody who didn't self-identify as a Christian. Like, it was an anomaly if somebody says that they weren't. This is not that. This is a mission field. This is why this church exists to reach our city. How are we doing? Not great. Look, if we had 400 people in church, and we won't have 400 people in church today, but if we did, if we had 400 people in church, it would take 1,000 churches exactly like who we call a Baptist church to reach the city of Honolulu. That's staggering. And I don't know about you, but I can't fathom a way to plant 1,000 churches. I just can't. It's not feasible. Okay. Could we plant one? 
I say yes to that. Could we possibly plant two or three? That's manageable. That's doable. It's going to require some work, and it's going to require some, here's the word of the day, faith. And again, I'm not, a, I'm not an outstanding leader. I don't have a 20-year plan for who we call it. I don't have flow charts and, and pie graphs and things like that. I just know this. God wants us to reach the city with the gospel, and the church is the way that it's done. I know this. I've done the math on this. In this room that we have right here, we can comfortably seat about 250 people per service. We have enough room over there to, to uh, minister to about 100 kids. And so best case scenario, we could get 350 people per service. If we packed out an 8 o'clock service and we packed out a 10 o'clock service, we could have 700 people in this building on a Sunday morning. And if we decided we want to be really foolish and go to like three services, which I don't have the stamina for, uh, we could possibly reach maybe 1,100 if we could pack out three services on a Sunday morning. Now, again, you look at that and you say, that doesn't really sound feasible. I agree with that as well. So what's the answer? The answer is to plant more churches. Well, where will we plant a church? I don't know, and frankly, I don't care. With statistics like this, we could plant another one on the other side of Alamoana for all I care. Like, seriously, there's enough people to go around. But as we look at the needs of our city and we look at the work that we're doing, we say, hey, we're way behind. We gotta get caught up. We gotta make a dent in this. We don't know how much time is left before Jesus returns, but the time is short, that's for sure. Time is short. So we gotta get after it. We gotta do the work, and so how do we do that? Well, for our church, we have to intentionally train pastors. So thankful last Sunday night, historic night in the, night, in the life of Huikala, we ordained our very first pastor. But please understand that the bulk of the, the ministry work that was put into Trey to get him to the point of, of pastoring wasn't done by our church congregation here. We entered into the, the labors of the Canyon Ridge Baptist Church in San Diego, California. We got to spend a, a year pouring into Trey and investing in Trey and polishing up and things like that and preparing him for the ordination process. But at the end of the day, it wasn't necessarily somebody that came up in our ministry. So we can either look to, I don't know, draft people from other churches and ordain them to send them out. We can hope that maybe some kid graduates Bible college and at 22 maybe has enough scruples to get his act together and maybe plan a church. Or we can start raising up men from our own church to say, hey, I can't do a lot, but I can tell people about Jesus. And I think that's the route we should go. And let me just tell you this, the needs that we have in our city, I, I, I stay in touch with a lot of church planning stuff. And again, we planted who we call it, and so I have a, a special place in my heart for church planners and church planting and things like that. I don't know of a single solitary plan of any person in the world to plant a Bible preaching church on our island in the next 10 years, much less our city. And I say this to say this, get this. Nobody's coming to help us. Nobody sees this great need and is flooding resources to get the gospel over here. Nobody. We're 100% on our own. And so we either sit at night and cry about it and watch Fox News and talk about how the world's going to hell in a handbasket, or we gird up our loins like men and women of God and we go out there and we get something done. And I vote for the latter rather than the former. 
So we got to start training men. And, and again, you might be sitting out of here, guys, saying like, hey, I don't know that God could use me. I promise you he can. If God can use an Anthony King, he can use anybody. That's a fact. If God can use fishermen and tax collectors, he can use anybody. That's a fact. If God can use shepherds and farmers, he can use anybody. That's a fact. You just got to be submitted. And so one of the things we're going to do is, is we're going to have, uh, starting this fall in August, uh, Faith Bible Institute is an uh, online college program for, for, for uh, Bible learning, Bible college. We're going to do that on Monday nights for anybody in our church that wants to come. You want to grow in your faith and learn more about the Bible? It's a college-level class. I think the, this semester is like the life of Christ and something else. Monday night, 6 o'clock, Pastor Trey has all the information on that. If you've got questions, talk to him. That begins in August. People that are serious about growing in your faith, you should sign up for that. Get some formal training. Guys who you would say like, hey, I don't know that God could ever use me, but I want to grow in that area. Man, do it. And again, there might be guys in our church who say, well, I can never stand up on a Sunday morning and preach. That's not my thing. It's not my gift set. Maybe you could be an assistant pastor to encourage and love and serve alongside a, another man who would be the senior pastor. You could be an assistant pastor. I don't know. I just know that God wants to use your life and God wants to use us to reach the city. And maybe there's, there's men and women in our church that aren't biblically qualified to be pastors. Women, that's 100% of you. Not qualified to be pastors according to the Bible. Maybe there's men in our church who aren't biblically qualified to pastor. Maybe you could just be a solid Christian dude that could go and, and help plant churches. I know that God wants to use us more than we're currently being used. And I'm asking you to step out by word of the day, faith. We've got to be proactive in our evangelism and bringing people to Jesus Christ. Last week, we uh, put out our brand new uh, invite cards. We try to shake it up a little bit and have something unique and different. We got these on the back table. Front. It says, take a leap of faith, and on the back it says, everybody needs something to believe in. Put your faith in Jesus for this life and the next. And it has the gospel. We've got to be intentional with these. Like, you need, like, these should be like, like bullets in your gun belt. Like, always having them ready. I'm, I have them in every car that I have, every backpack that I have, every bag that I have, every man bag that I have. They call them belt bags now. They're no longer fanny packs. They're belt bags. I got them in all my belt bags. I mean, like, I'm serious. Like, you need to have these wherever you go. I'm going to be talking to people about Jesus. I'm going to invite people to church. I'm going to tell people how they can know for sure when they die they're on their way to heaven. I want to be able to know how to share my faith because we got work to do. We got to be intentionally evangelizing. We got to be prepared financially as well. It's expensive to plant churches. Some of you, if you knew what the rent was on this building, it would make your head spin. And again, there's been some well-meaning movements over the years who say things like, oh, we should go back to house churches, we should just meet in somebody's living room and things like that. Okay, again, that would work in some contexts. I mean, if you have a village of 100 people or 200 people, that might work. When you're trying to reach 400,000 people and you're going to put 10 people in a living room, how many houses is that? We need 40,000 house churches. That's not even feasible. So again, where we're at in our culture today, where we're at in, in our churches today, we need money to do it, and it's difficult. But here's what I know. God has given us all the resources we need to do the work that he's called us to do. And I think how awesome would it be, our, our, our heart and our plan, I've talked this over with our deacons in the next five, uh, four to five years, to take a man that is raised up and trained in our church, send him out from who we call to plant another church here in the city of Honolulu, and to be able to take a hundred of the people in this church, send them with him, and send about $100,000 to get things started. Like, that would be an incredible start. Who's it going to be? No idea. I'm praying that God will raise up some men, men, that would do that. 
What if there's two or three guys? We'll plant two or three churches. I got no problem with that. What if God raises up 10 men? We'll plant 10 churches. But I'm just trying to start with one. And to be able to, to, to say, hey, we're going to get a, a, a building for you. We're going to pay your first year's rent. We're going to pay your salary. We're going to get uh, all the things that you need necessary to get things rolling, to get another church started so that this kingdom can move forward. And let me just say this from the get-go. If anybody has any ideas, it's not going to be who we call it East, who we call it West. It's going to be whatever that church name is because churches are autonomous. And while we'll always have a special relationship with the churches we plant, they're their own autonomous church, not part of this church. It's not a biblical model to have one big mama church and a bunch of little campus churches. Not a biblical model. If it has to happen in certain cases, I might understand that, but it's not a biblical model for, for church planting. We're going to have money to do it. So today, we're starting a Huikala church planning fund. And if you, want to, if you use the Huikala app or the, the church center app to, to, and you're giving, there's a drop-down button on there that you can click church planning. Here's what happens. I'm going to give you a heads up. The money that goes into that account sits there until the day we plant a church and then we pull the money out to plant a church. It doesn't get used for this, that, and the other. Or we, oh, we got this. We're going to print new tracks or send a mailer out for this. Not any of that. It's just simply sitting there to plant a church. Now, you might be looking at this and you go, so we have our regular tithes and offerings. Yes. We have our missionaries we support around the world. Yes. We also have a church planning fund now. Yes. And in case you didn't know, we also have a building fund too. Uh, we're basically saving for a down payment on this building in the event that God ever gives us the opportunity to buy it or another building one of these days. Well, that's a lot of different ways to give. Yes. But it's also a great opportunity to live by faith. Hey, this, this church had a worldwide faith. I want us to have a worldwide faith, but there's nothing too big for God. This building, in case, uh, just the structure and the land that it's on, not even anything on the inside. This building that we're in is, uh, last appraisal I got was $4.5 million on it. That's what the property tax on is. would be $4.5 million is the value of the property. I don't know about you, but I don't have that much money to offer our landlord to just buy him out. But I trust that if God wants us to have it, that he would provide it. You know why? Because I'm trying to live by faith. If I've got it figured out, it's not faith. And God's calling us to live by faith. Church at Rome, they lived by faith. That's the thing. And their faith was famous, like everywhere you went. Again, it wasn't about a pastor. It wasn't about a, a building. It wasn't about how much money they had. It was about their faith. Like, wow, these guys are getting it done. And I'm just going to help you when it comes to living by faith. If you're living by a, a pros and cons list, you're probably not living by faith. Angela and I, when, when she, she and I started walking with Jesus, we made a commitment in our monthly budget. We're going to tithe. Non-negotiable. I don't care if we don't have money to buy groceries this month, we're going to tithe. And how many of you know if you put God first, you're never going to go hungry? That's what the Bible says. Never seen the righteous begging bread, like ever. And so we made a decision. We're going to put giving to God first in our light item in our budget every time, 100% of the time. Now, some people are getting really uncomfortable. This is not a message on tithing. You don't have to be uncomfortable. But here's the thing. We put that first. Everything else came second. Did you know this? If we didn't tithe, we could have took an incredible family vacations if we didn't tithe. If we didn't tithe, we could have driven brand new cars. We could have lived in a nicer house. We could have bought our kids more Christmas presents. 
all those other things that don't matter for the kingdom. There are times our, our kids will tell you, our, our family vacation was we went camping at the KOA in Bakersfield, California. If you've ever been to Bakersfield, not really a vacation destination, you know. Sorry if you're from Bakersfield, it's a trash town. <laughs> we stayed at the KOA and we camped, you know why? Because it was $10 a day to tent camp there. That was all we could afford was a $50 vacation. And we had a blast. We roasted marshmallows, our kids swam in the pool. They had fun. They didn't miss out. But we always made it a priority. The church at Rome was a church that lived out their faith in a real tangible way. They didn't look at pros and cons. Look, moving our family to Honolulu from Southern California, pros and cons list, the cons was way longer than the pros. Get this. When we moved here, we sold our house that we had in California. There's a 3,000 square foot house at the end of a cul-de-sac, three-car garage. Uh, the people who lived there before us uh, had well landscaped the backyard, put in a lot of pavers and concrete and stuff like that. We put a basketball goal in the backyard. And when we left there, we sold our house for $180,000. Because we figured God's got something better for us on the other side. <laughs> and you know what? That's the only house we've ever owned to this day. <laughs> because, okay, well, did we lose out? No. If you're looking at a pros and cons list, we, we, we lost big time. We blew it. We should have held on to it. We should have rented it out. We should have flipped it. We should have sold it. We should have waited until the market went up. and made more. Hey, if you're looking at it from that perspective, we lost. But if you're looking at it from a perspective of what did the kingdom gain by living by faith, it's not a loss at all. It's a major win. And some of you struggle to live by faith because you can't get past that rational part of it. Faith isn't rational, that's why it's faith. Paul says in Romans, in Romans chapter 15, if it's, if it's hope, then it's not faith. Or I'm sorry, if it's, if it's hope, it's not what we see. Because we don't walk by faith, we, walk, or we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. If there's not a measure of fear of what you're doing, it's probably not living by faith. Hey, again, if, if you're not far enough out on the ledge that if God doesn't come through, you're toast, you might not be living by faith. If you've got a contingency plan in your back pocket that's probably going to work out, you might not be living far enough out on faith. Now, again, there's a fine line between faith and foolishness. I think we need to be cognizant of that and we need to walk in wisdom with that. But for us, when we came to, back to Honolulu to plant Huikala in 2013, somebody asked me, hey, what are you going to do if the church doesn't work out? I have no idea. I really don't. Well, do you have anything to fall back on? I have nothing to fall back on. We put all of our life savings into getting this church open for day one. We didn't have any money to fall back on. We didn't have any rich relatives to fall back on. We didn't have a house in California to go back to. I didn't have another job to fall back on. We weren't going to live with our parents. I haven't lived with my parents since I was 18 years old. I'm not going to start now when I was a grown man with kids. What's your backup plan? Don't have one. You know why? Because I 100% believe with every fiber of my being that this is what God has called me to do and what God has called me to do, He will do it. It's faith. You say, well, I wish I had faith like that. It starts small. Really small. I'm just going to go to church faithfully. I'm just going to obey God in every area of my life. I'm just going to 
pass out invitations to church, invite people to church. I'm just going to allow God to change my heart. That's where it begins. If your life makes logical sense to an unsaved person, you likely aren't living by faith. If an unsaved person can look and see what you're doing and go, oh, yeah, that, makes, that totally makes sense to me. Yeah, I get it. You might not be living by faith. But I praise God for people in our church that are living by faith because when they say things like, oh, I'm moving back to Hawaii. I don't really have a job. I don't know where we're going to live, but we're just trusting God. And people go, that doesn't make any sense. Like Christians say, that doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, I know, it's faith. When people say things like, hey, I'm going to stay in Hawaii even though it's going to hurt me financially, but because I believe in what God's doing through my church, people go, that doesn't make sense at all. Like, for those of you that don't know, you'll be encouraged by this. Uh, Honolulu has the highest cost of living uh, in the nation, second only to, like, New York City. <laughs> no lie. My wife asked me to run into Long's the other day. Uh, I, it was the end of the day. I was completely exhausted, like wiped out. How many of you know that feeling? Like, I don't want to walk five feet, much less like walk into a store and buy something. And so she said, Good, we're totally out of milk. Could you go to Long's and get the smallest thing of milk that they have? And it took every bit of energy. Like she dropped me off at the front door. and It's all the energy I have to just even walk into the door. And I get to Long's and I get to the, the, the counter there, the, the big freezer that's there. And I look, and all their milk is gone, except for like three gallons at the bottom. And I was just like, oh, finally. I go to reach $10.19 for a gallon of milk at Long's. And I sit there to myself, and I shut the door back, and I step back. And I think to myself, I'm not walking down to Foodland. There's no way. I would pay $10 not to have to walk to Foodland right now. I literally would. So I opened it back up, bought it. I paid $10 for a gallon of milk. And I thought to myself, I got in the car. I go, don't you ever buy milk at Long's. And she's like, I didn't buy milk at Long's. You did. I know. I'm telling you, I'm not ever buying milk at Long's ever again. And so, oh, but, but I think to myself, is that what it takes to reach this city with the gospel? Okay. I'll pay the price of admission. You know why? Because my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. It wasn't my money anyways. It was God's. And I think God says, be a better steward next time with your money. Okay, got it. <laughs> but here's the thing. I'm willing to live in a city that has a high cost of living, that is, an <laughs> I'll say this, antagonistic towards people like me, antagonistic towards people of faith, for the purpose of what? For the purpose of advancing the kingdom and making Jesus' name great. For your faith to be meaningful, it has to be lived out in a real tangible way. Your faith is not just what you think or what you feel. It's about what you do. People say, like, oh, I love the Lord. How do you love the Lord? Prove it. Well, I just got these feelings. Feelings never accomplished anything. Action accomplishes things. How are you living out your faith? How are you living by faith? You might say, well, I'm not living by faith. Then your life doesn't please God, according to Hebrews 11, 6. Again, I, I know today's message is big. I know it's hard. I know it's lofty. But hey, look, the things that we're dealing with when we're talking about eternal life and heaven and hell, those are big, lofty things, and we've got to put some thought into it. And let me just tell you this. Every message, every Sunday is not going to be as heavy as this, but if you're looking for a place to come and be patted on the head and hear 10 ways to have a happy life this week, and one of those is like, stay off social media and 
watch more uplifting TV shows. This is not the place for you. We're going to preach the Bible. We're going to talk about heaven and hell and reach our city with the gospel. That's who we are. And I pray that God will bless it. But we have to be willing to live out our faith in a real tangible way. So, question. How are you living out your faith? If you say you believe, where's the proof in the pudding? You know, I can ask you, has there been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior? Do you know for sure if you die today you're going to heaven? Has there been a time in your life where you've been born again? If the answer to that is yes, that's good. What fruit in your life backs that up? Where's the proof at? You say, well, I don't have to prove it to you. No, you don't. But there should be fruit of your life. Jesus says people know trees by the type of fruit that's on them. If you're a Christian, you should have evidence to back it up. People should be able to look at your life and go, man, I see faith in that guy. I see faith in that gal. Man, they're really living the real deal Christian life. Talk with somebody this morning, they said one of the things that was so attractive to me when I came to who we call it is for the first time in my life I saw people who really were living their faith like they believed the Bible. And that encouraged my heart because I remember the first time I saw that, I was a 20-year-old man, and I thought, whoa, these people really get it. Are you living that kind of faith? Next question. How would people describe who we call it? Be somebody who's here for the first time you leave, what would be your thoughts of today's service? Well, how would you describe our church family? Maybe somebody who's been here for a couple of months and then left, how would they describe our church family? What words would they use? Man, I got no desire to, to make my name great. I think Anthony King's kind of a terrible name. If you ever have kids, don't name them Anthony. It's not, not a stellar name. Uh, but I don't want to make my name great. I'm not trying to make myself a platform. I'm not trying to sell books. I'm not trying to headline conferences. I'm not trying to have new headshots made and put into glossy eight by 10 photos that I'm gonna sign for people with a Sharpie marker. Not interested in that. I want our church to be known as the church of faith. I'm just gonna shoot you straight. I'm gonna tell you this and we're done, okay? The majority of churches in America right now are struggling hard to just keep their doors open. They say that amongst churches worldwide or nationwide in the United States, most churches have gotten back to about 60% of their pre-COVID attendance, 60%. And basically they're fighting and clawing back to try to get back to some semblance of normalcy. Majority of churches have cut their staff, cut their budget, cut things left and right. The Southern Baptist Convention, which we're not a part of, never have been, never will be, not associated with, but just kind of a side-by-side -side metric, in the last two years have lost three million people that no longer attend church. Three million. It's bad. I'll say this. Huikala is currently at about 170% our pre-COVID numbers. We've grown. Um, is it all about numbers? No, it's not, but I think we need to have our, our pulse on some key metrics that are really important. Our yet last Sunday morning's attendance outside of Easter of this year was the highest attended Sunday morning service ever in the history of who we call about church last Sunday. Two Wednesday nights ago was the largest ever Wednesday night gathering in the history of who we call about church in the history of our church. Last Sunday night was a special uh, night with our ordination service, largest ever 
attended Sunday night service in the history of who we call about a church. This past time of discipleship that we've had, more people enrolled in discipleship in a discipleship cycle ever in the history of who we call about a church. Our two ba- last two baptisms, both of those were tied for record baptisms that we've ever had in the history of our church. What am I saying? I'm saying God is doing something special here in our church and we don't need to just turn a blind eye to it or think that this is just normal because it's supernatural. And it's not because I'm really smart or I'm a great leader because we got these good plans and programs or anything like that. It is 100% the work of the Holy Spirit in our church. And I say that to say this, let's not quit now. If God is pouring out his hand of favor and blessing upon our church, let's not just dial it back, put it in neutral, and coast for a while. Let's crank it up to 11. Let's put it down into second gear and hammer the gas down. Let's push forward. Not so that I can be great, not so that you can be great or that people can see our really cool t-shirts that we have and think that they're great but so that we can make Jesus famous worldwide. That everywhere we go, people have heard about Jesus. That everywhere we go, we've had the opportunity to touch people with the gospel. That's what it's about. If you're here saying there's never been a time in your life where you've accepted Christ as Savior, today is your day. You can't move forward until you do that. But for those of us that are Christians, man, now's the time to self-evaluate. What does it mean for me to live by faith I was talking with a man this past week, and he said, man, through all this stuff, my daughter asked me, he said, Dad, do you think you'll ever be a pastor? And he said, huh, I don't know. And I love that answer. It wasn't immediate like, no, absolutely not. I'm not pastor material. It's like, I don't know. Maybe God would. And here's what he said. I'm not sure what God has for me and my family, but I can imagine me and my wife serving in ministry one day. Yes. Oh, this must be some guy who went to Bible college. No, it's not. Must be some guy who grew up in a solid Christian home. No, it's not. Just some guy who says, hey, if God uses average ordinary people, I guess maybe he could use me, and I'm open to that. Just somebody who's willing to live by faith. Let's live like that this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.